0: want to know why and how? Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Ben Baldwin on the show today to talk about the piece that he wrote for The Athletic on home field advantage and the potential disappearance of home field advantage if we have a season without fans. One of the interesting takeaways from it is that maybe it won't disappear precisely the way that we think it will, and Ben is going to come on to talk about that. I want to start the show, though, with a conversation about Kenny Clark's contract because there's been a lot of talk about the structure of it. When Kenny Clark signed a four-year $70 million deal, he became the highest paid nose tackle in football and became a cornerstone long-term piece for the Green Bay Packers. It took several days before we got the specifics of that deal. And those specifics are interesting. The first two years in 2020 and 2021, his base salary is under $2 million. It jumps up In 2022, his cap hit in 2022, 2023, and 2024 is over 20 million in each of those seasons, whereas this year it's 6.7 million, and next year it's 7.1 million. And so there was a lot of speculation about what this meant. Oh, 2021, that just so happens to be the year after which the Green Bay Packers can most easily, in the short term anyway, get out of the Aaron Rodgers contract. It is the time frame that has been most speculated about Aaron Rodgers and would allow them to get his money off the books for 2022 and, in essence, backfill it with Kenny Clark's own money. I think there is at least some credence to this idea. My guess is Kenny Clark's agent did not say, hey, we're going to do you a favor and make it easier to get rid of the most important player on the team that this guy is going to be on for the next few years after this move apparently happens. I just don't see the agent doing that, but I can see the Packers viewing it that way, at least to a point. I don't think, though, it is the intention of the Packers to say, okay, we're going to put all of this money backloaded in this deal specifically because Aaron Rodgers' contract could be off the books after that. No, the bigger potential factor is the salary cap loss from COVID. And we don't know what that loss is going to look like. It could be as much as a $40 million hit to the salary cap and so 2021 could be lean times for the Packers and every team. Because if revenue falls, the salary cap will fall with it, player salaries will fall. And so, if the Packers have a lower number on Kenny Clark, who's getting 17 and a half year, who's getting 17 and a half million average per season, but they're getting him in 2021 on the cap for only 7 million. That's a pretty big difference and a pretty nice savings for the team. It allows them some more flexibility at other positions. Mike Garofolo reported Green Bay wants to get a deal done with David Bakhtiari before the season. They want to get a deal done with Aaron Jones. They have to think about the future with Devontae Adams, and they still have to make a decision on Kevin King. Getting these deals done now allows them to say, hey when the new rights deal comes up and that money comes in in 2022, then we can give you that big bump. It allows you to say, hey, if you sign that four-year $70 million deal, you're going to get that $25 million now up front. And it doesn't really matter how the deal is structured because you're going to get that signing bonus. You're on a five-year, really, a five-year deal because it's an extension. This is a four-year $70 million extension. And you are still going to be a part of this team long-term. Green Bay, sure, they can get out of the deal after 2021 with $15 in dead cap, but that's a ton of money to have for a defensive lineman. If Kenny Clark is good, there's no way that's going to happen. He's more likely going to play till at least 2022. There's no reason to believe he's not going to continue to be a really good player and he's going to get all of that money. But the other thing is that the cap hit stuff is funny money because the 25 million he gets he gets it that's why it's called a signing bonus so that money is already his the thing about the signing bonus is the packers can prorate it they can manage it on the cap so for the next 3 years after 2021 they get to put that money on that cap even though it's already been paid and this seems like it's very you know inside baseball but it's really important to how they're going to manage their roster moving forward. Saving that $15 million on the cap and spreading it out is great, but it doesn't really affect Kenny Clark. And it wouldn't affect David Bakhtiari or Devontae Adams or Aaron Jones because they already get that money. That's the appeal for all of those guys to do deals now, and it would be their incentive to say, hey, we're going to help you out. Because in 2021, we understand the cap is going to be lower. And so we'll take a lower base salary in 2021, knowing that that signing bonus is already going to be on the books. So Kenny Clark gets $25 million in signing bonus. Well, that $5 million gets spread out over five seasons. But that's just an accounting trick. The money's already his, which is why these players would be willing to be a little bit more flexible for the team. Now, it is the case... That this balloon payment, basically, for the Packers and Kenny Clark, happens at a time when Green Bay could make a move with Aaron Rodgers. They didn't plan it that way. When they signed Aaron Rodgers to that deal, they didn't know that a global pandemic would hit, that it would have incredible deleterious effects to society as a whole and also hurt revenues in a major way. That was not part of the plan. Now, Green Bay certainly knew that when they were negotiating with Kenny Clark on a contract. And, and they know that now in, in planning for the future. But you don't need to structure the contract this way in order to make the money work with Aaron Rodgers. That's the biggest key here. If this was just about Rodgers, you wouldn't really have to structure it this way just because the signing bonus does make it easier to spread money out so we can we can be conspiracy theorists and that's fun and i look i like to be a conspiracy theorist it, it is fun but i don't think there's any conspiracy here now that doesn't mean that green bay didn't have an eye to it and go hey you know this is this is actually convenient not that the pandemic is convenient let me be very 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 clear but that they can justify this 2021 small payment and the 2022 balloon payment and making up for it on the back end of this deal when Aaron Rodgers might not be on this team, it does align with a potential time frame for the Packers. Clearly, they know that, and and they're planning for that. But they didn't structure this deal specifically to achieve that. And if your goal is to achieve the cheapest, least intimidating process to buy auto parts, rockauto.com is your solution rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years go to rockauto.com to shop auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps motor oil and even new carpet whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver everything you need is there in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door and best of all rock auto is always a reliably low-priced site the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers why spend up to twice as much for the same part go to rockauto.com now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there how did you hear about a section so they know we sent you All right, let's get to my conversation with Ben Baldwin. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ben B. Baldwin. You can read him on The Athletic. A lot of his his stuff, certainly the preambles for his stuff, ends up on Twitter. And if you can can make it through all of his Aaron Rodgers bits, uh, there is a lot of good stuff in there. Even the Aaron Rodgers stuff is good, I, I will admit that. But he, he wrote a really interesting piece about home field advantage, and I was really excited to talk to him about it. Ben, thanks for coming on Locked Packers.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to be back and uh, very close to football season now.
0: Yeah, can you believe it? We're, we're under three weeks now until the, the season kicks off. And it seems like, you know, March was seven years ago. So I guess that makes some sense uh, that we're <laughs> finally close to football season. You wrote a really interesting piece for The Athletic this week about home field advantage. And it's something that we've talked about on our show about... Teams that, you know, used to have what we think of, at least, as a big home field advantage, maybe not benefiting the same way without fans. I want to start with the first part of that piece, because what you showed was more or less that home field advantage, not what it used to be.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it's not just an NFL thing, um, but something we've seen in multiple sports, even around the world, where um there used to be pretty strong, consistent home field advantages. And, and there, to be clear, there still is a home field advantage. But over time um, in the NFL, it's it's perhaps decreased from a little over three points to a little over two points, uh, at least in how the betting markets consider home field advantage. So it's, it's definitely not as strong as it used to be.
0: And, and that brings us to an interesting place now because... We don't think, at least early on in the season, there, there will be fans and there are plenty of teams, including the one that that you cover most closely, who are famous for their home field advantage. The, you know, Seattle being a team that we talk about anyway as, as being a team who benefits from that advantage. Um, you mentioned the Packers-Vikings, Green Bay going to Minnesota, a place that we think of as having that kind of advantage, but... Based on uh, the, the research that you did and the people you talked to, uh, there's some reasons to be to be dubious that there will continue to be this home field advantage, although there there may still be the persistence of that advantage despite not having fans.
1: Yeah, I, I think we should definitely expect it to decrease, especially in the stadiums where there will be no fans at all. And uh, the, the Packers first game in Minnesota uh, now officially falls into that category. Um, and we know that a lot of home field advantage is driven by fans exerting pressure on the referees. And, and it's not that referees are going out um, into a game determined to favor the home team. It's just um, like the psychological pressure of a bunch of people yelling at you. It, it shouldn't be surprising that, um, like for example, uh, if there's a long pass play and, and a receiver gets mugged and the, the home fans start yelling that there should be a pass interference, you're just going to notice that play and be more likely to... Um, Give those those high leverage calls to uh, the home team, and that's kind of what we've observed over time. Now, without fans, that element goes away, um, so we shouldn't expect home field advantage to be as strong. But as uh, as we've seen in kind of the the restart European soccer leagues, in most leagues, home field advantage hasn't gone away entirely, and this might be because of uh, travel during a pandemic or Uh, staying at home and all these other factors that might also go into home field advantage. Those are still there, but uh, the fan aspect is not. So um, we shouldn't expect um, the Vikings, for example, in week one to have this strong home field advantage.
0: Yeah. And and as you note in the piece, betting markets aren't everything, but the fact that there still is seeming to be this, this persistence of at least the perception of home field advantage is interesting. And, I actually hadn't seen the work that Kevin Pelton had done about the NBA, how in the bubble, albeit a very small sample size, we're talking about as neutral a court as you could be. Everyone is in the same place. There is no travel. Everyone's staying in the same three hotels, and yet we're seeing the home teams win at a rate that is statistically significant.
1: Yeah, it's it's very strange. I would have absolutely expected their if there's going to be no home field advantage anywhere, it should be somewhere where there's a bubble where teams are literally not playing on their home court. There's no fans in the the stands. And yet um, home teams have been winning at a rate, quote unquote home teams have been winning at a rate that is similar to what they actually were during the regular season. And this kind of gets into these um, psychological factors about um, playing at home and perhaps being more aggressive and like all these things that are very hard to measure. And, Who knows if it's even real, given the sample size that we're dealing with? But it's kind of another piece of evidence that um, there might still be some diminished, but still real um, degree of home field advantage in the NFL this year.
0: Yeah, you wonder. I mean, not to get crazy deep into like the psychology of this, but you know, in the NBA, for example, when the the Bucks are home, they have all of these canned uh cheers and chants and all of this stuff that is typical at a at at their home games you know is it is there some sort of deep seated pavlovian response i mean some of this stuff you you could really dive into a psychological rabbit hole trying to explicate some of this stuff are the vikings when they hear that horn is something going to you know d- turn on in their brain when when the what do they do at seattle is it a siren what do they do there
1: um yeah. So before before kickoff, there's it, it's kind of hard to describe the noise, but yeah, something <laughs> along those lines where it, it, the the fans get pumped up and the players start dancing and all that. So like if if, if they still do that and they might as well, um, then maybe there'll be some sort of impact. Although, like again, the the, the large degree of home field advantage driven by uh, referee behavior, we should expect that part to go away at least.
0: So. Do you think, I mean, football in general and the NFL can often be an exercise in small samples, um, and so maybe there will be no conclusions that we can draw from this, but let's say we have a 16-game season and everyone plays at these, what are ostensibly neutral sites, at least from a fan perspective. Do you think we'll have meaningful data to say this is this is, you know, I- important or this is actually meaningful in, in the way that we think about home field advantage? Like, let's say it's 55, 45 or it's, you know, whatever it is, it's lower than we think, or maybe it's higher than we think. You, do, you, do you think there is some sort of meaningful data that we'll be able to take out of this season?
1: I think meaningful, yes. But as you mentioned, the sample sizes are so small that um, we won't really be able to tell. Um, how meaningful and presumably hopefully this will just kind of be a one-off thing and we'll be able to have fans in the following year um, and in that case it'll just be like something that people point to saying "Here, hey here's this interesting thing that happened but um, it's it's not clear what it means in the, the grand picture of things uh, for example we had um, in, the, in the piece I mentioned uh, Luke Benz who studied European soccer leagues after mm-hmm. restarting and he looked at 17 different leagues <laughs> and that, that's kind of how much evidence we have, which is which is a lot over the course of it. And even after that, we still kind of have these questions about why home field advantage was larger in some leagues than other leagues. And if we're adding the NFL to that, um, it, it's a greater sample size because those leagues were resuming midway through the season. But it'll still be just kind of one piece of the puzzle along with the NBA results um, and uh, those soccer results and everything we already uh, have to date as well.
0: So I, I can't have you on a Packer show and not ask you about your uh, th- the the hill that you have chosen to die on, and not that you're dying on it, but certainly it is something that you are infamous for in in Packer circles. But uh, it came up again recently because Danny Heifetz for the Ringer wrote a piece about the decline of Aaron Rodgers. You were quoted in that piece, and he didn't he didn't specifically ask you the question. Um, Or maybe he did, and and he just didn't include it in the piece. But I would love to hear your perspective on what you make of Aaron Rodgers still being perceived, even within the league, as an elite player when a lot of the underlying numbers suggest that that's not how his play uh, should put him in in terms of the hierarchy of the league.
1: Yeah, I think there's kind of two main factors, one of which is he was legitimately great for a very long time um, and people like once somebody is established as good or not good, it takes people a long time to kind of move off their perceptions of this player. And I, I think there's definitely that to some degree, like everyone has seen Aaron Rodgers be the best quarterback in the league or one of the best two or three quarterbacks in the league as he was for the first seven or whatever years of his career. Like He, he has uh, a Super Bowl MVP and, and two regular season MVPs for a reason. Um, and he's still the same person, um, whether or not his play uh, lately has lived up to that. And and second, I think people really value kind of the wow plays that mm-hmm. he really does make still. like there, He really does truly make plays that only a handful of quarterbacks can make. Um, maybe the rate of those plays has changed over time, and maybe one of the um, uh, incidents of negative plays has also changed over time, but those plays are still there, and, and people can take out video clips of the top five aaron Rodgers plays or look at this amazing play and and that will stack up as well as any quarterback in the league so if somebody's just doing that they they can say look rogers is the same guy he's always been and can still make these amazing plays and, and and it's true that he can make the amazing plays but um the rate at which those happen relative to all the other plays uh, isn't necessarily the same anymore
0: yeah mike sando who who does those quarterback tears and and by the way these are not mike sando's tears i see that a lot these are these are like NFL teams saying this, he's getting insight from coaches and personnel people. But one of the things that he said on a, on a podcast recently was that, you know, Aaron Rodgers, uh, if you, if you compare Tom Brady's five best throws or five best plays, they probably wouldn't be on Aaron Rodgers' top 30 plays. And, and that's yep. sort of how this, this is all viewed. I, I want to throw this at you because my explanation for it, Was essentially that because it's this phenomenon that you you talk about a little bit, because he's capable of doing it in any given game. And when we saw the Raiders game, we saw even for for long stretches in that Seattle game where he would just make these incredible plays and these incredible throws, and he can still single-handedly win you a game that, the perception from a defense is, well, we have to prepare like that's the version of Aaron Rodgers that we're going to get because we know in any given week he could be that, and so therefore he's still scaring these other teams. Does that seem like a reasonable explanation for this to you?
1: Yeah, I, I think he he absolutely does scare other teams, and the, he's ranked where he is in in that tier, in those tiers, and I, I think ESPN had. Kind of a similar thing where he was also ranked very high, and that, that was also from um, people in the league. So, yeah, the perception of him is still is Aaron Rodgers, this scary player. Yeah, absolutely.
0: You have, uh, it, it, in Seattle, sort of the opposite effect, where Russell Wilson is just now coming into that that part of the league where they're saying, yeah, he's an elite player. Whereas, really, his play has said he's probably been that guy since, what, 2014, maybe even sooner it's it's the reverse phenomenon. For a while, he was seen as a limited guy and who was winning because of his defense. And I think, you know, a lot of that is is true to a point, but it's taken the league and I, I think the media as a whole too long to recognize he's good in the same way it's taken everyone a little bit too long to recognize, hey, maybe Aaron Rodgers has fallen off a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I, I also think that, um, like you said, um, quarterbacks are judged in part based on their... Surroundings, even when those surroundings don't necessarily impact how they actually play that much. Uh, so for example, um, Russell Wilson had Marshawn Lynch and he had this defense and people say, well, he was in this situation. And of course he produced like that, but there's a lot of quarterbacks who have had good defenses and even good running games that aren't able to produce like that. And there's not a lot of evidence that uh, a quarterback's efficiency on a play to play basis is really uh, impacted by uh, the run game and especially uh, not the defense. So it was, it was kind of a silly way to detract from uh, What Wilson has done and now that he doesn't have a running game or a defense uh, people are more willing to uh, Accept that he's he's pretty good
0: Yeah, I saw a stat the other day uh, I think bleacher report posted it that the Seahawks are 59 and 0 when when they have a halftime lead with Russell Wilson And it was attributed to Wilson and I was like they're already winning like, <laughs> How is that a Russell Wilson stat? It just seems that we, we, the, all of this, we, we we have to find better ways to assess some of this stuff. And I know that you are uh, a, a part of trying to be a, a part of the solution, at least on, on evaluating players and how we think about these things. So I do appreciate your work very much. That's why uh, you've been a multiple guest on this show uh, and why I like talking to you about this stuff. So uh, let my listeners know where they can find more of the work that you do, because you don't only write. Scathing pieces about Aaron Rodgers.
1: No, um, in in the last piece, I I thought the the single most surprising line of Week One, and I think you've tweeted about this too, is is the Vikings being favored over uh, by three points over the Packers, and I I don't really think that makes sense. I don't think the Vikings are a better team than the Packers, especially after losing Stefan Diggs, and I don't think the that we should expect much home field advantage. So this is not gambling advice, but I I saw that line and my eyebrows went up a little bit. So I don't hate the Packers. <laughs> uh,
0: anyway, uh, I'm on
1: Twitter at Ben B. Baldwin. Uh, I cover the Seahawks uh, at uh, for the athletic NFL. And uh, thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it, Ben.
0: I want to thank Ben again for joining the show. And before we finish up, I want to talk to you about something that is even harder to talk about than the potential decline of Aaron Rodgers. I want to talk to you about E.D., talking about ED isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about it with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe you real medication. It's safe, simple, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan, if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you for free with two-day shipping. Getting started is simple. Just go to Roman.com slash NFL and complete an online visit. Go to Roman.com slash NFL. and if approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's locked on NFL as a promo code when you go to GetRoman.com. All right, we're gonna be back tomorrow Matt Schneidman on the show we continue our discussion about training camp he put together a piece also for the athletic if I haven't convinced you to, to pay for the athletic by now I don't I don't know what I'm doing but Matt had some some thoughts from training camp uh, made made some headlines talking about Jordan love and some of his struggles remember we talked about him uh, earlier in the week or last week about how you know just let's relax let's just calm down this is early. We are okay. We're going to talk to Matt about that and a lot more. Uh, be sure to check that out. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOnPackers. Like us on Facebook. And anytime you want to hit us up on the LockedOnPackers fan hotline, send me your comments, send me your questions, send me your Netflix reviews or your recommendations. Whatever it is you want to send me, send it to me there. to stay locked on Packers.